Chevy Equinox with forward collision alert, automatic emergency braking, and available all-wheel drive. It's my ultimate mobile device. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com to schedule a test drive. Chevy Equinox. It's your choice. Own it. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Life is good! Ann and I have been friends for a really long time. Yep, we met right out of college in our first jobs as radio producers, and we had a lot of fun living it up in the big city. And then we grew up, got married, and stood up in each other's weddings. And we had babies within weeks of each other. So we went from producers to reproducers. Which brings us to this podcast. We want to talk about topics that interest us and you. And let's be honest, this year, there's no shortage of stuff to cover. We're average, not experts. So we'll tackle these topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I fully expect to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we already have. So welcome to Apparently. Life is good. So apparently our world is circling the drain. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Apparently... We don't live in the same world we grew up in. Times have changed and things parents worry about now are a lot different than things our parents once worried about. And then throw in a pandemic and on top of that, it makes it all all the worse. I know that's not exactly a newsflash, but seriously, it sounds cliche, but I was thinking, Anne, that our parents took for granted the fact that they could let us, I'm going to sound like a grandma, they could let us stay out until the streetlights came on or they didn't need to have a cell phone to text us to know every stinking minute, like Life 360 and all these things to know where we are. And there were long periods of time where they didn't know what we were doing or whatnot. All that to say, the world is just not the same and maybe not as safe as it once was. Yeah. You know, according to a recent poll conducted by John Zogby Strategies, 52% of adults surveyed feel less safe about their schools and or their children's schools. 41% feel less safe about their places of worship. And 64% feel less safe about their favorite restaurants. And the numbers for teens are even worse. 61% say they're thinking more about their safety and 61% worry about encountering violence. It's daunting, really. I want to give credit to my friend Shannon for this week's podcast because um, it all started. We were texting back and forth. It was two days before Christmas at a mall about 10 miles away from my house. And all of a sudden on the news and on my phone, I hear about a mall shooting where there was an argument that took place between two people in front of a pretzel shop. I remember that. Yeah, I remember after it was on the news and everything. After the dust settled, four innocent people were shot and suffered injuries and it took place in a outdoor mall in a cozy suburb of Chicago, a mall that I have dropped my kids off a million times with their friends in front of the same pretzel store that my kids have bought pretzels and lemonade from. And so that night, the mall was locked down for four or five hours. And the police, because one of the gunmen ran away, the police had to go from store to store and release the shoppers. So it was a little, it was a little intense. And because of that, that's what, why we were thinking, hmm, maybe we should talk about when that sort of thing happens. Well, it's a good thing that you brought that up because we're going to talk about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> to talk about the unthinkable and to prepare our children for situations like that mall shooting, we're going to bring in Brandon Roan. Brandon Roan has been in law enforcement for 17 years. He spent 10 years in patrol and then was promoted to the rank of captain before his retirement. 
Yeah, uh, Brandon's also a certified uh, school resource officer through the National Association of School Resource Officers. So he's worked with kids. He's a certified instructor in many law enforcement subjects like defensive tactics and defensive driving. He works with schools, workplaces, and communities in partnership with their local law enforcement and first responders. And he works to empower communities to stay safe and think about their physical, social, and emotional well-being. Thank you for joining us today, Brandon. Hey, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and appreciate the opportunity to uh, to sit and chat with you today. So I suppose we could break down public safety into several buckets or situations like public spaces, schools, workplaces. And I thought we could start with public places first because we already I gave the example of the shooting in outdoor mall in a cozy suburb of Chicago. I was wondering, how can we talk about safety in public spaces with our kids if if we were to use this mall shooting as an example, what could we be telling or talking about with our kids to do if there was an active shooter incident at a mall, let's say? So, Tracy, that's a great question, right? And and when you think about it in its simplest form, we, we've had this conversation in the past. And, and you may remember that conversation around the topic of stranger danger, right? When you When you took your kid to a playground for the first time at, at maybe two or three or four years old, and, and you gave them some options uh, to increase their survivability should the creepy guy in the white minivan show up and, and try to abduct them. And, and so this topic of increasing survivability is not new. The, the thought process, the mindset of having this conversation around mass homicides, active shooters, violent critical incidents, that's new. But ultimately, survival skills are not new. You know, so you think about uh, having this conversation, you may have taught your son or daughter to run, yell, scream, you're not my dad, get away, fire, right? All those things that you taught your son or daughter to do to survive a uh, potential kidnapping or abduction are all survival tactics you taught them to do to increase their survivability. And, and so when we look at you know, surviving uh, and increasing survivability during these violent critical incidents. It's it's all about proactive option based approach, giving people options to do something to increase their survivability, and we've been doing it for a very long time. Another example of that is fire safety. Uh, if you remember back when when we were in kindergarten, and and the fire department would show up to do an assembly in October. And, and we would put the, the tourniquet coat on and the helmet and they would walk us through all that. What, what did they tell us to do if our body caught on fire? Stop, Stop driving the roll. <laughs> yeah, right. And so what was that? That was an option to increase your survivability. Uh, you know, we were taught to leave the building that was on fire. You know, never once. Think about this. Right. Never once were we told, hey, the building's on fire, but stay there until the fire department shows up. <laughs> We were never told that, right? Uh, and so what did we do? We removed ourselves from a dangerous location. And so when you think about it's the same principles when we talk about a violent critical incident or, uh, uh, or what other people refer to them as active shooters, it's really simple. Two things. We remove ourselves from the dangerous location or we render that location no longer dangerous. Okay. So... By the way, I have to tell you that my kids thought that every white van was the dog catcher when they were little. 
<laughs> I don't know why, but I still think it's creepy. That sounds like a Hollywood thing. Like they thought it because it was in a movie or something. I think it was Scooby-Doo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Scooby so, did. Scooby did. Yes. Um, so Brandon, in that situation, would you, I mean, like if they're in the mall, you tell them to leave, but what if, what if they don't know who's out there? Would you tell them to hide? So it's, you know, everything we do is, is based off information, right? Um, and so when you think about this, what do we know if we're in the mall and we're seeing or hearing the violence? We know that it's happening inside. It's a 50-50 shot outside, right? But we know it's happening inside. And so what's really important here is, is that we understand we can only address the known, right? I, I, I know what's happening inside. I got a 50% chance of it happening outside. But also think about when you get outside, you have more space available to you to put distance between you and a threat. And so, you know, a lot of times people, people want the formula. And I tell people all the time, you know, when you talk about a, a event of this type, there's no formula because the event changes in the ebbs and flows. And so, there's, there's no, you know, no matter what you do, A, or no matter what you do, B. And so you have to be understand and come to terms with the need to being flexible that you may have to make multiple decisions and take multiple actions along the way to get you to the safest place. Instinctively and under stress, like it's in your example that you give, it's true. Like it was happening outside of a pretzel shop outside because it was outdoor mall. And the one of the shooters ran. So like you could run away, but that shooter, like you just, there's a lot of unknown. So you, it is a minute to minute type of situation as you described. And Brandon, I have a question for you in terms of, you know, you say when we talk about this, when do we talk about this? I mean, is there any danger that, you know, we are going to create more fear for our kids? I, I don't want them to be afraid to go to the mall, but Maybe we need to have these very deliberate, planned conversations. What's what's the best approach? Yeah, just like we have sex education, like you, you, have, you have the birds and the bees talk or like the drinking and driving talk, like give us a call, have a code word. Like to Anne's point, is there is there a conversation to be had or what do you think? The conversation has to be had, but the important part is we have to have it at the appropriate level. Right. And so we don't talk about it to our high school student the way we talk about it to our five year old kindergarten student. Because that looks very different for each one of those students, right? Uh, just like, you know, when you have various ages of, of children in your own house, right? They, they get treated somewhat different. Now, no parent will admit they treat their children differently, right? But, but the fact of the matter is you do, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so, you know, because one child is old enough and, and able to understand how you speak in that particular situation. And you have to speak differently to the younger child who is not at the same wave level. And so it's the same thing here, right? We have to have the conversation at the age and appropriate manner. And so which, you know, the kid, the idea here is not to scare anybody. You know, you think about this, which I, I always find it funny when I have this conversation, N nobody ever looked back and said, you know what? That stranger danger conversation was traumatizing. No, we, we we don't hear that, do we? No, right. No. We we never hear anybody say the fire department told us when we actually catch on fire to stop, <laughs> drop and roll. Nobody said that was traumatizing. Right. No, nobody once said that was we, we didn't have, you know, 
uh, uh, all kinds of protest about the, the inabilities to have that conversation because it was traumatized. So this is no different. Right. This is no different. You know, the, the reality is, is when you think about the the possible end result, which is through either lack of training or inexperience resulting in death. Do we really have a, dis- a fundamental disagreement on the pathway to death, whether it's by fire, the creepy guy in the white minivan or the active killer? No. No, right? No, nobody, nobody goes. Well, you know what? I, I, I'm okay on this one. I, you know, my loved one died in in the building fire, and, and I'm okay with that. Nobody's ever said that, right? And so, when you when you think about these types of events, it's the same conversation. It's different means, but it has to be age and ability appropriate to the person that we're having the conversation with. So, I'll give you a real. We we like. I know that you say that it's hard to have, there's no script or like routine or protocol or whatever, but Anne and I both have two teenage daughters who are about to get their driver's license. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know (laughs) if you have seen a newspaper lately, but here in the Chicago area, carjackings, and actually I think across the country, um, carjackings are happening pretty often. In fact, there was a carjacking one block from my house in my neighbor's driveway. She was pulling out with her daughter and they were held at gunpoint and, the, and her Lexus was taken. What should we do if we find ourselves like what, how can we talk about this with our new drivers and what would we do if we find ourselves involved with that or our children, you know, with their new license off going to the mall in order to prevent it or get through it safely? Uh, so the biggest thing is situational awareness, right? Uh, put the phone down. Let's let's start there. Right. Well, that's a Put that's the, a thing right there. That's impossible, Brandon. Put the phone down. Open your eyes and put your head up. It's amazing what you will see when you know what you're looking for. And so people need to understand, right? Um, you know, most of these criminals, most criminals, and uh, in, in my law enforcement career, uh, very few times have I come across a true career criminal. And, and what I mean by that is. A person who has studied the game um, and and has made it really difficult for somebody who is simply looking to miss, right? Most criminals are what we call a uh, crime of passion. It's in that moment. It's that opportunity. It's unlikely to be very thought out planned. It's, it's boom, there's Paul an Seth. opportunity I'm going to take advantage of. And so if people understand situational environmental awareness, they're going to see that, right? They're going to see the car that's, that's sitting there, uh, with somebody in it who is, is staring them down or, or, uh, as the term I like to use looks creepy, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, when, when the, you know, generally the body has a really good sense of telling us when something's wrong. The problem is we don't listen. Right. We don't listen. And so we chuck it up to, oh, I don't know why they're sitting there. Or, you know, people will say things like, hmm, that's interesting. That's random. That car is never there. Those are all context clues. Those are all pieces of sensory input that should tell you, hmm, if if my eyes were drawn to that and I feel weird about it, I feel different about it. I should probably investigate that further. Right. And by investigate, I don't mean walk over and knock on a window and go, hey, what are you doing in my neighborhood? Right. Uh, but but I mean, maybe we don't come out at that time. Maybe we come back in the house. Right. Uh, 
Maybe we pick up the phone and dial 911 and say, hey, there's this suspicious vehicle sitting at my corner, right? And, and, and it's not your job and it's not our job as the citizen public to go investigate that. That's why we pay law enforcement. Have the officer come out and investigate. And if it's literally a person who's lost and who's on their phone trying to get directions, we'll be able to find that out and all will be well. But if somebody, if it's somebody who's there to in, and cause harm, maybe that initial contact with law enforcement yields to an arrest because there's maybe there's some drug paraphernalia, there's a weapon scene, whatever, right? Uh, or, or at the very least, uh, that person goes, Hey, you know what? Today's not the day. I'm going to take off. Uh, but, but we miss all of that because. Uh, if you're, if you're familiar with the Cooper color code of awareness, when we talk about situation awareness, um, you know, the, the color white, right? Condition white are people who are oblivious to what's happening around them. They have no idea what's going on around them. And, and so more times than not, people operate in that white. They're just so worried about what they're doing at that moment and all this intelligence is happening around it and they miss it because they got their face buried in a piece of technology. And so, Brandon, just to follow up on that, if our kids are in the car and someone opens the door and tries to get them out, should we tell them, get out, You know, leave everything behind, you're more important than the car? I think that's, again, it goes back down to a formula, right? Um, for some people, that may be the best option based on the circumstance. For other people, it may be, right, if my car is in drive and and all I got to do is put my foot on the accelerator and go, I'm putting distance between me and that threat. Uh, even, you know, some people will say, well, they can shoot at you. Uh, any experienced law enforcement, military, or avid shooter will tell you the hardest target to hit is a moving target. Uh, so if you're moving, if that car is moving, you're putting distance between you and that threat and every inch you put between you and that threat, you are making that target. You're making yourself a harder target to hit. Sure. They may hit the trunk. They may hit the back windshield. They may hit the back seat. But again, so I, I, I caution to say that, you know, uh, if, if the position is where compliance, right. If, if it's a, a difference of, you know, I'm in a tight spot. I'm in a parking spot. I can't just get mobile. Then, then maybe I do get out of the car and just start running, right? I mean, just literally get out of the car and start running. Maybe I push that. Per- if it's if I'm close enough and that person's impeding my ability to escape, I I push them as I'm running. Now you're causing what's known uh, in the tactical world as OODA loop interruptions. You are causing an action requiring that individual to react to your action. We all know action beats reaction. You start winning immediately. And again, movement and distance is increase, are tools to increase your survivability. So, Brandon, in doing research for today, um, I was reading that the FBI had coined a phrase, run, hide, fight. It sounds like you sort of touched on that earlier. Does this apply to all environments, like whether it's in the car or at work or out at the mall? So, you know, run, high fight is, is, is a Department of Homeland Security, uh, option based training that came out in 2008, basically on response of the Virginia Tech incident in 2007. And, and so when you think about option based strategies, right, it's, it's doing something. So it goes back to what I, I mentioned earlier, right? Uh, it's when we, when we do something, we immediately start increasing our survivability. And, and so the options are because Based on your environment, 
based on your situation, you may have to do something different. And, and so a, a proactive option-based strategy approach is always better than either nothing or a, a traditional one option. You know, you only do this one thing regardless of what happens to you. Sure. It's better, better to not be frozen because that, that's not changing anything. No, I mean, uh, listen, the human body has three basic responses to danger, fight, flight, and freeze. Fight and flight are trained or experienced responses. Freeze is that untrained response. And that's where most people find themselves uh, who have not had training or experience. They freeze because they don't know what to do. And and when we talk about uh, the body, how it responds in that stress-induced environment and how our brain functions, you start to lose certain functions of the brain uh, from that frontal lobe, that frontal cortex, yielding your only availability to recall is in that amygdala, that mid-portion of your brain. And so if you have not had training or experience to store that information there, you will most likely generally freeze. Gotcha. You know, so um, you talked about running and, and then clearly that's a, a good idea. Um, I was reading in Good Housekeeping as we were getting ready for this and um, they talked about running in a zigzag motion and it reminded me of this movie, The In-Laws, my dad and I used to watch and laugh at because this one Peter Falk character kept telling Alan Arkin, zigzag, serpentine, Shelly, serpentine. <laughs> and and I, you know, just, so we thought it was so funny, but it's true. It, it's harder to hit you if you're going back and forth, right? Yeah. Uh, again, it's 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 how we process that sensory input, um, and and without getting into a whole uh, neuroscience and, and visual dissertation here, uh, but that that movement uh, impacts the brain's ability to process that information as it's happening, and so again, it's that action versus reaction concept that you're looking at with that movement when you're running in that zigzag. So when you're running and have that zigzag, you not only have that distance and movement, but now you're impacting the person's ability to shoot accurately and process all that information. So my brother-in-law is a police officer. And so fortunately or unfortunately, I don't know how you, however you want to look at it, um, being alert and risk assessment. Like he, he, He's definitely not operating in the white, or I forget what you said that, that was, like not paying attention it's to white. Yeah. 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 He, he does not look at the world that way anymore as a hazard of his job. Um, and you hear about, you talk about exit strategies and stuff. Is there a way we could talk to the kids about exit strategies? Like, other than the obvious of, hey, dude, put your phone down. Like, when you're walking down the street, when you're coming out of a store, like, I mean, I've, I've seen kids, like, hold their phones walking and, like, <laughs> run into a trash can. Because they're just not freaking paying attention to anything they're doing. Yeah, so that goes back to that that you know environmental awareness, situational awareness, uh, so taking in all that sensory input. You know, in in all my years as a police officer and and even retired, but still kind of in the space. Um, you know, every time I walk into a new location, I'm taking in that sensory input. Right? What other than the door I came in? What other ways are there available to get out? Traditional and not, right? So including windows, uh, including maybe drywall, right? Maybe I have to kick my way through some drywall to get to another location. And so all that information is, is important because that's going to, you have to have that information in, you know, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of like my mom used to say to me, right? When I was a kid, I just thought you go to the ATM and you just, you put the card in, you put some numbers and money would just come out. <laughs> I, I didn't understand the concept at that young age that you have to put it in, in order to get it out. <laughs> right. And, and so, and so it's the same kind of concept when we talk about, you know, having that, that, 
that awareness is you got to put that information into the brain so that when you need it, it's available to come out. If it's not there, you can't expect it to all of a sudden reveal itself in the moment that you need it because you did not give it. You did not put that information in. So it doesn't know it's available. Does that make sense? Sure. Totally. Forewarned is forearmed. So I know you work with schools and I'm wondering how parents can sort of work with their schools uh, to reinforce what maybe the kids are learning in their schools. Um, I've heard the, the phrase, if you see something, say something, you know, what should we tell our kids? God forbid that there's a, a, a shooter in a school, but what should we tell our kids about safety in schools? So I, I think the important question is, you know, find out from school leadership, what is the school as an organization doing? Right. Um, that's the first place, because you may find that the school is doing everything that they can the right way. You may also find that they're kind of doing it partly. And you may also find that they're not doing anything at all. Um, and so, you know, go go ask your, your leadership, ask your school principal. If your school has a school resource officer, ask that officer, ask your kid. You know, when your kid comes home from school uh, and you're sitting at the dinner table or you're wrapping up homework or whatever it is you're doing, uh, just say, hey, I got a question for you. Uh, do you know what to do if your school catches on fire? Do you know what to do if there's a, a armed intruder in your school, a gunman in your school? Has anybody in your school ever talked to you about this? If they did, what did they tell you? Right. So gather some of that information just through some casual conversation at home. Uh, and based on what you receive from that that conversation, then you go back and you tee up that conversation with, with school leadership to say, hey, uh, this is what I heard from my student. I, I want to confirm that. Is this, in fact, true? Uh, and if if it's not what you think it should be, then you you further that conversation. So this feels like a beating a dead horse, sort of. But I, I was reading somewhere that two million Americans a year are affected by workplace violence. So we're switching away from schools and now talking about like workplace and uh, kids these days, they all have jobs. They can work in fast food or in retail. They're folding clothes <laughs> at a store working. What kind of things should we, if our kids are out facing the public, should we be maybe talking about to keep them mindful? Because it's one thing when you're in your home or on your block or whatever. But what about when they're out at, at a public space in a work work environment? Same Same rules apply? It's the same thing, right? So, you know, that situational environment awareness and that, that preparedness level is across the board. Whether you, you could be at school, you could be at church, you could be at Office Max, you could be at Carabas, you could be at Walmart, Wegmans, Giant, Target, uh, the Navy shipyard. It doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. Taking in that information, that sensory input, that situational awareness and begin to understand, okay, if something happens here, here are my options. If something happens three aisles over from where I'm standing right now, here are my options. And so you constantly are working through that process of decision making of I've moved from location A, I'm now at location B. What changes about location B from the plan that I formulated with location A? What other information am I now seeing now that I'm in location B that I didn't see in location A? Okay. Brandon, we talked about the pandemic sort of exacerbating things. Are there any hard data to suggest that the pandemic has accelerated or increased violence like the stress or, or maybe the economic changes that some people are facing right now? I, I think the, you know, so the data that you talked about earlier, right? The, the number of students, you know, um, my time as an SRO uh, in schools 
was was invaluable, right? But but I also am a current school board vice president, and so I I I have uh, some may call it the blessing or the curse, depending on what what avenue you looked at, right? But I I've I have the full circle picture from you know being in in a school building, basically hands on with kids like teachers and administrators dealing with the law enforcement side, now also being on the administrative side as being a, a school board member. And, and I think what we, what we realized coming out of the pandemic was there was a population of students that, that we knew were on our radar, right? For whatever the reason they're on our radar. I think what was the, where we were grossly unprepared was the, the triple numbers of the folks that were never on our radar prior to the pandemic, who are now coming out of basically isolation uh, for for you know, a year, eighteen months, two years, depending on what part of the country you're in and when you got released, who who are now like having to learn how to deal with people again and having to learn how to deal with social skills again, and and those who lost jobs and and who experienced you know multiple deaths with family members, close uh, friends. And so all that emotional buildup and you're like, okay, let's go back to normal, flip the switch. And here we are. Um, and, and obviously it just doesn't work that way. And so, you know, now it's the, you know, we are seeing uh, spikes in areas and levels that, that we never saw before. Um, and, and so I, I think, you know, the, the data out there about how, you know, like you talk about, right, the students, how they feel and, and people. And, and so all that's real, all that's real. And, and, and if you don't believe it's real, just look at the effects we're seeing. Amen. Thank you so much, Brandon Roan, for uh, taking the time to talk us through uh, threat assessment, uh, risk management, and how to kind of manage and talk through um, situations with our kids. It's, it was great to have you, and I, I really appreciate it. And everything you just said about schools is for real. Thank you for your service to your school board, too. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Brandon. Absolutely. So apparently, there are some simple strategies we can talk through with our kids to discuss how to handle these intense and stressful situations. And it, bottom line is, look around. Yeah. You know? Heads up. Heads up. Yeah. Be aware. Get off your phone. When he started talking about stranger danger, I guess in, in, in reality, that is true. We've always been talking about it. So it's really nothing new. I never thought of that before. So that was like a, a light bulb moment for me. Yeah. It reminded me of the time that I accidentally set fire to something in the kitchen. And, um, cause you know, and, um, both of my kids ran outside and said, stop, drop and roll. Stop, drop and roll. Oh, and good. Like, They're paying oh. attention. <laughs> yes. You know, yeah. and, um, I know one way our listeners can promote public safety in their communities. What what, what way is that, Tracy? <laughs> well, I think they can safely tell everyone about this public safety episode <laughs> and then share with their friends and neighbors. So when, when you know better, you do better. You are good, Tracy. You're very good. <laughs> <laughs> we would love for you guys to rate us or leave a review on iTunes. We want your feedback and, and suggestions. Any suggestions you have, like Tracy's friend Shannon had one. Yeah, so check us out on Facebook or Instagram and share a post if you like them. Remember, you can reach us uh, via email at allapparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is WGN Plus Podcast, edited with help from our very own Ben Anderson. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. Apparently.